The most important identity we should embrace is child of God, disciple of Jesus Christ. They're encouraging us to adopt different identities because there are some challenges that come with these identities we sort of inherit culturally. Welcome to Latter-day Lens, unscripted, faith-promoting discussion of current political events with Sean, Sam, and Matt. Welcome everyone to a special episode of The Latter-day Lens. This is the one in which we just answer questions from the mailbox. So I'm not going to do as much talking on the front end because there's just questions and uh, we haven't prepared in advance any answers to these questions. Some of them we're just looking at for the first time right now. So I'm going to start with this one because I think it sounds like a lot of fun. It seems like Sean and Sam have been exposed to a lot of anti-union propaganda. Oh, no. <laughs> if you were a CEO worried about stop work stoppages, how would you undermine unions? By spreading the same rumors and aspersions that Sean and Sam are repeating, perhaps? Would you <laughs> preface them by saying, of course unions mm. used to do really great things? Anyhow, the question is that uh, Sam mentioned some better non-union ways that worker interests should be represented. I'm curious to hear more about these. What are some good non-union options? Like right now, I'm serious. The world to me looks like a, a favorable place for unions. You've got the Screen Actors Guild. You've got the actors on strike. UPS is going to yeah, go on totally. strike soon. Like unions are representing workers well. So what are these other options for the, unions? The, the unions have destroyed good <laughs> industries. And basketball is a great example, and baseball is a great example. As the world watches super rich people go on strike and gets ticked off that uber wealthy people are complaining about their inability to make uh, make an income. Matt, the Screen Actors Guild, Sean, is the best example of them all. I heard a politician yesterday on Meet the Press say, look, I'll tell you what we do. You take the richest actor, which makes a lot more than the richest studio executive, you cut their pay by 20% each, and then you just allow that to trickle down into the coffers of the union. They can go buy whatever they want. The but, free Okay, so you're comparing an actor to a studio executive, but what right? about the people who own the motion picture studio? It's the owners that are the ones that are raking in all the money. Like when you say the billionaire owners. Too. <laughs> the, the, the executives make a lot of money, as do the actors. It's a free yeah. market system. I think that people make a lot of money because they're unionized and they can force the owners to give up some more of their profits to the employees. Yeah. Right? So, so my, when you talk about alternatives to the unions, I think – we live in a digital age where transparency is be is increasing, where employees have more leverage in this marketplace, where there's frankly not enough employees to go around. And you know, good employers will do things to attract great employees, and they'll do things to retain those great employees over a long period of time. And I think, given technology, there's less of a need to to become union. I mean, look, I'm familiar and I hesitate to bring too much in because, you know, they are right, powerful right, right. entities and I don't want to, yes. you know, I don't want to get myself into trouble, but I've heard it said <laughs> that there are certain areas where maybe a construction job isn't, isn't gotten by the unions. And then the unions will actually go and picket a business. And if you go stand out on that picket line, with those employee, with those uh -oh. uh, alleged wronged employees, you actually find out that they're not the employees that are picketing. They're some, they're paid people that are paid to be there to picket a business. You know, it, in its worst form, unions can just turn into uh, blackmail and sabotage and not benefit 
the individual worker. I mean, for heaven's sakes, look at Utah's biggest union, which is the teacher association. They've been yeah. talking and we've talked a lot about it for years about better pay, better benefits. And have they, have they solved the problem of underpay in the state of Utah? Absolutely not. Has the well, UEA, they're a public union. Well, wait, what does that matter? It means that they have to persuade legislators, right? So okay. legislators are not just interested in profits and things like that. So legislators it, who are representatives of the people. So by yeah, that, so it makes it of, harder. It makes like the NBA just has to persuade the owners that it's in their best interest to yeah. change the contract so that they can put a product out there and make money. Whereas yeah. a public employee union has to persuade the whole public that they deserve more money. So it's a little so, bit different kind of so, a situation. So public, you're saying public unions are a bad idea. No, I'm just saying that it's harder for them to get what they want. Without the public union, things would be worse off for teachers in Utah, yeah. I think. I don't know. Well, but Matt, last week we started this whole discussion off. Your question was, there's a there's a, a, a wage gap, yes. a huge wage gap. Yes. And your solution unions. was yes. unions. So my example, oh, so the, the same listener. bad idea. So the same listener, Matt. <laughs> Matt, the same listener called me out for saying, I don't think that the salary of the American Federation of Teachers is a good argument against unions because Randy Weingartner, yes, makes $500,000, but she's an attorney in New York and represents 2 million, uh, 2 million teachers. But here, I was simply bringing her up as an example of the argument, Matt. I was trying to debunk your oh. argument that unions are good for the wage gap because clearly, I mean, that's such a funny, like Sam said, teachers don't make any money. They still don't make any money. If Sam or if- uh, But there aren't uh, racial- Randy Weingarten, who makes a half a million dollars, if, if and, and the average teacher makes $40,000 to $60,000, What's the point? What's the point? It's just it's just not succeeding. Unions, it's, and it's unions are a crutch in 2023. And Matt, I will take your words of public unions being less effective as an admission of that. And we'll just move to the next topic. <laughs> Let's go to the, okay, so this is but Matt, I would say, but Matt, I was I would say Sam started off the last mm. one with actually unions are good. It's just that they have become such a tarnished. Uh, I know, but the reader of, took that uh, away. An, an, the reader took that away by saying that's a that's a bad uh, that's a bad explanation. He's but, saying that you two, oh, okay. the, the reader, the listener is very I, kind in saying that you two are uninformed. I, that your tools no, I, Sam, for corporate you don't agree. <laughs> Sam, you don't agree that unions are a good in they're good in concept. I, and if we could get corruption out, just like we, if we could get corruption out of government, sometimes in business, they, Sam, oh, they're not bad. They're a good thing. It's it's individuals oh. having it's it, it's it's capitalism. Sam, isn't a lot it? of liberal it's it's a, individuals. A lot of together. liberal ideas seem awesome. It's like a good show of the West Wing. It's like I, it makes my heart feel good <laughs> until you realize you just can't pay for it all. Unions are, are the exact same thing. It feels really good until you see how corrupt many of them are, and then you have to change your change your stance. But well, speaking anyway. of un of liberal ideas that sound so good on paper, let's get back to the universal basic income. Oh no! So, <laughs> so this listener <laughs> this listener writes that right now fifty eight percent of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, and True. so that makes it hard for the average American to take risks. Sam was saying that the ability to take risk is kind of what drives innovation and makes the capitalistic engine thrive, but people don't have money, extra money to take risks. So the universal basic income, let's just say that it was going to give everybody a thousand dollars a month for a married couple. That would be $2,000 a month. Now you've just given them some extra money with which they can take some risk. And wouldn't that be good for the capitalist dream if everybody had just a little bit more money each month. It, it reminds me in Russia when my uh, 
uh, former companion used to say, in communism, everybody's equal. There's just some who are a little bit more equal than everybody else. And <laughs> this isn't out, communism. This is handing, giving everybody a little bit of money. Ha- handing out to everybody just a little bit of money so that everybody's just okay. The problem with that is in our market, in our free market, um, that'll work for a certain period of time. But like we saw in COVID, you start handing out just a little bit of money, inflation, buying power, wage uh, power. You know, uh, some of the Democrats thought that they solved some of the income problems as they saw yes. wages escalating. What yeah. they didn't realize is on the tail of that, inflation shot through the roof, right? And so now they're trying to take measures to calm inflation. That's going to suppress wages back down. It's tough in reality in a business world, void of really good, warm ideas that you know are some of the liberal ideas you hear. It's tough to actually execute on that without causing a problem in the marketplace. I don't know how you hand everybody a little bit of money and uh, you know st- still have a the democ- the free market that we enjoy today. So your fear, Sam, is that giving people money causes inflation. But it could also be that the war in Ukraine and and the supply chain disruptions from COVID, that those are the cause of inflation. And if we hadn't had all of these policies that were giving money to people, our economy would have tanked because the prices, the inflation still would have happened. People no, just wouldn't have that. had the money. I people wouldn't have that. had the money to purchase things, right? Yeah. So, so then you could give people now just a little bit more money, and they could invest that money. We're going to have they just could a start little a, bit more inflation. <laughs> but, but seriously, with a thousand dollars a month or two thousand dollars a month for a couple, you could start a food truck. You could start a side business. You could start some kind of side hustle. You could put that money into Bitcoin. You could put that money. Yeah, but you could Matt, invest how, that what, money. What, if you what, what happens when that one to two thousand dollars? The buying power of that goes down to a hundred dollars. And then you've got to give four to five thousand, and that goes to two hundred dollars. And then you got to give five to six thousand. That's inflation over time. But it drives innovation in the economy because there are more people, more people with capital. Would you doesn't drive innovation, Matt? Would you still Matt? Let's say we try this experiment, and let's say ninety percent plus of the people do what a lot of people I know here, my actually good friends have done, which is when they were given money in COVID and they learned that the government will provide assistance, they will provide assistance for their home, assistance for their, and they decided to quit. What? And I know these people. Why would they quit working? Oh, really, Matt? It was the great resignation, Matt. It was the great resignation. It's a fact. It was proved. People walked away from the economy. Was the the government giving away more money than I was aware of? Because I was not getting enough money that I could quit my job. No, but Matt, 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 let me explain. When they learned, what the heck, I'm getting paychecks from the government, they went in deeper and realized, oh, unemployment? Oh, oh, government assistant oh. housing. Holy cow. And I know I could tell you <laughs> very specific stories about people who decided, oh, wait a minute. I don't have to the, work. I don't even have to great try. Resignation. And they literally, the great <laughs> yeah. resignation. And they literally, Matt, for years and years and years now, they sit at home and they well, do nothing. Wait now, Matt, if we try, they're starting, to come, they're starting My, to come back because that money that drove the inflation <laughs> kind of has left the economy and people are like, huh. Is, there, there's no universal income. I got to actually contribute back to the uh, economy again. Right, Sean? Wait, I thought you were going <laughs> to no, tell right. me that we suddenly had a whole bunch of new startups that happened during the COVID. Oh, that's, no. That's the st- that's one side of the story that you, you were able to find some stats on that, Matt. But in general... In reality, being in business and, and, and having the feet on the ground, man, there was a year and a half where I literally would have clients. And this is, I don't do this in my business. They would call me and say, Sean, I'm so desperate to get someone, to hire someone. No one will come to work for me. 
can you, can I pay you to go find someone to Whoa. work for me? <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'll t- yeah, literally they were offering me to pay, to go find work workers we, for them. And I couldn't we were in do the same it. bucket. People weren't willing yeah, to we work were in the same bucket. You're in the same bucket. You, right, you so. would walk into a, Matt, that's how reality you walk into a Starbucks, Sean, you walk into a McDonald's, you walk into Best Buy. It's like, Hey, where's somebody to help me? There were not enough people around to help. So I just found this story on Bloomberg. Bloomberg. Over 5 million new U.S. startups show COVID-era boom has legs. New business applications in 2022 were up 44% from 2019. Largest increases are in the South where many migrated recently. Well, but there's there's value, Matt, though, in real boots on the ground experiences, for example, that Sam and I have. I mean, we lived through it for two years dealing with lots and lots of clients, customers, businesses, companies. That was an extreme example. It was true, truly shocking. Maybe there was maybe so, you guys not, just have lazy so many friends. people not willing to Do you work. Have lazy friends? Is that what it is? I just worked. I just worked a fourteen-hour day around people that worked a similar day. <laughs> Let's How see. Do you I'm ins- your friend. I'm your friend, Sam. <laughs> I I mostly slept today. I had a really nice. <laughs> Did you really? That's exciting. Actually. Well, it's I got home. Monday. I got home you. from a drive early this morning, and I I do yeah. sleep sometimes. I'm not like Sam. You're not lazy, Matt. You were yeah, hard. You were very hard. <laughs> okay, thank you, Matt. I feel much that's better. Sean, can I ask Matt a question though? Don't you yeah. truly think, Matt, that if your needs were taken care of and you didn't feel tomorrow like you had to go out and ensure your food, health, education? prosperity. Wouldn't you make different life choices with the time you have left in your life? Wouldn't you go out and pursue other interests than trying to return a benefit in the economy that would help pay for all those things? Yeah, but I but that's what I'm trying to say. That's the American dream, Sam. What you it's just not described the American dream. The American dream. Oh my goodness. Right? The, because the you're still dream. contributing. You're still the contributing Ameri- to the economy. The American dream is as an immigrant coming to this country with whatever language you have, struggling as a parent and as a provider and allowing your kids to assimilate into in, into this land and become free citizens of this country and then to give back uh, in, in meaningful ways, becoming doctors and lawyers and real estate agents and car salesmen and whatever else <laughs> like like. That's the American dream is that you can become better than your parents were because the opportunity is here to better yourself through hard work. There's no part of that that is, hey, I'm going to come over here. I'm going to get a subsistence income. I don't have to fight. I can just exist. That's crazy. Sam, Sam, I think the real, I mean, this is a funny argument, but what were you guys are saying? But <laughs> it's I not think the, funny. Isn't the, it's true. <laughs> I'm going to go Matt, back to my- isn't the real Isn't the real argument based in this, Matt? There are the scriptures talk about there will always be poor among us. Yeah, but and there's not supposed. The idea to be. is this. Well, yeah, no, that's not on, the though. right I'm argument. I'm not saying we're, we should <laughs> shoot for poor. it. I'm not saying that. No, no. What I'm saying is this, Matt. That suggests that some people are more capable than other people, maybe, or some people are placed in in situations that uh, are giving them more uh, opportunity than in others. Heaven. I guess. In heaven, but, Sean. But, or is there going to be a hierarchy, like a social class hierarchy? No, that's not what oh, I'm okay. saying. No, that's not what I'm saying. Not what I'm saying. <clears throat> what I'm saying is this. If it is true, and I know many people, you guys know many people, who just aren't as capable, 
They're just not as capable to produce. Whether I give them a thousand bucks a month or not, I don't know that they have the ability to produce. And isn't the real argument, the discussion is they will always be paycheck to paycheck whether they have a thousand dollars extra or not. So that's the American dream. So that argument is where you lose me, Sean. It's those it's those Why? people that society should probably help yeah. that don't That's have the saying. capacity. The people I worry about are the people who have the capacity and who, because the system isn't set up for them to risk and work hard, be creative. I have seen on the crucible of stress and pressure and challenge, people yeah. take risks and make massive gains and contribute yeah. in incredibly meaningful ways that had That's, they not taken that risk, Sam. they never would have done it. What you're describing are Sam, people you're, who you're, are challenged who can't, who don't have that capacity. You're receiving, you're, yeah, yeah, you're receiving my point, right? My point is this. There are some, the discussion should be built around those who have ability and those who don't. How do we as society take care of the poor or those who don't have the ability? Matt's proposal is $1,000 a month. My response to that, Matt, seems like, I, just, I don't think that's right because my experience with close friends or family members who don't, I just aren't as capable they, they're not as capable to finance that money or use that money in wise ways either. Well, in fairness, $1,000 so $1, a month is a baby step towards what I think is a better society, which would be from that, each according be- to his ability to each according oh. to his wants. Where'd you get well, that from, Matt? Where'd the law of consecration from? sort of sounds like that. And then, no, that's not well, where that, that quote would comes be from. More specifically, Karl Marx. And <laughs> uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> I don't. There's there's some real value in this idea of everybody contribute according to your ability and everybody get back from society according to your wants. And we don't need other people like having billions of dollars and some people millions of dollars and some people hundreds of dollars. Everybody should just have everything that they want because they're giving what they can. And then, okay, let's move on. That will never work. (laughs) Hey, I read about it in the Doctrine and Covenants. Okay. You interpreted it that way. <laughs> uh, okay, so this question, because um, we had a discussion about partisanship and people changing parties, and I said something to the effect that changing a party is a lot like changing a religion. And this listener writes in and they say, you know, on my mission, I taught people and I saw them change their uh, religion. And, um, and and he says, I, I grew up in an area where I didn't really know that like Republicans and Mormons fit together. I just, as I grew up, I sort of said, okay, Right now, being a Republican makes sense, and this situation being a Democrat makes sense. And so their question is, is it really like people don't change that much, and they just over time kind of find a religion or a party or whatever that fits their values and beliefs? Or is it the people, as they get older, they're actually changing these things? Like, I think the question is a lot about, like, do people really have these core beliefs that don't change, and they just find the groups in society that match those? Or are people actually changing as they like do we know anyone who's actually changed political so, or religious beliefs in a meaningful way yeah matt matt can i take it first then sam yeah. you jump in so i have kind of a dogmatic religious view on this a little bit i'll go back to james 1 5 right if you have so it starts with that common scripture we all know in our church if any of you lack wisdom let a massive god that giveth to all men liberally upbraideth not shall be given unto him but then six which we don't really focus on very much is this but let him ask in faith nothing wavering for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed And there's lots of references in scriptures about how the doctrines and philosophies of men, when you're not built on the foundation of Christ, these philosophies and doctrines blow and people will will just go whatever way the doctrines show. So I like this question because it is about, to me, about epistemology. 
about how do we discover and know true, how we understand what is true, what is right, what is wrong. To, so to me, I know this is a little bit of a dogmatic religious That's response, okay. but if we learn, if we as people learn about truths, religious truths, economic truths, any truths by the power of the Holy Ghost, then we are built on a foundation and will not waver. If we use any other mortal means to discover these truths, I think we will waver. We will go back and forth. And I know that's so a you little say the, If you say that if your beliefs and things are built on true doctrine, then they don't change with time. And true doctrine can only be received by the Holy Ghost, right? Because they're delivered from God to earth through people via the Holy Ghost. That's the revelation process. And we can only receive that doctrine truly in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. So if I'm learning things by the Holy Ghost, which is God's method of communication to us, then I'm going to have truth on a foundation. Now, if it's a political truth, if it's an economic truth, if it's a religious truth, it doesn't matter, I think. I think it all So applies. here's my take on it. I there's a lot of studies about the genetic heritability of different things, like what we're genetically predisposed to. So there was a time when I got involved in behavioral genetics and I wrote a paper. <clears throat> it's out. It's called the, uh, the uh, genetic heritability of presidential approval. And I show in this paper <laughs> that what you think about the president of the United States, 63% of that is determined by your genetic makeup. And then oh like 40% of that is your environment. And like none of it is family socialization. Wow. And, and one of the reasons I wrote that paper and got involved in that is because people, I think, um, look at biology and genetic stuff as deterministic kinds of things. And I think that in life, we have this sort of this constant fight between who we are and who our biology sort of like predisposes us to be. And I think that there's a scriptures, right? The natural man is an enemy to God and has been from the fall of Adam. We're all born with these natural tendencies that come with the bodies that we inherit at birth. <clears throat> and I think that a lot of people just sort of go along in life with their genetic predispositions and don't put a lot of effort into overcoming the natural man. And so I think wow. that the, one of the reasons why you find strong heritability for things like presidential approval is because it's like it's a reflection of these other sorts of things in life that you just sort of are born a certain way and, and you have these natural predispositions. Then you add to that the culture and the community that you're raised in and all of those influences. And people don't push back against that very much. And unless wow. you push back, do you, then you have no reason to change from how you just naturally become. Because if you're applying that to the religious doctrines we believe in, the only way to change the natural man is to come to Christ with humility and brokenheartedness and be, have a changed heart. And you're saying people don't do that. Therefore, they're natural mortal fallen genetics determine what they think for the most part. Yeah. Because well, unless you become born again or unless you, it says, uh, and that we'll be an enemy to God forever and ever, unless we put off the natural man and become a saint through the atonement of Christ and become humble, submissive, meek, patient, full of love. So yeah, I think the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us a path to overcome our natural tendencies, but most people don't do that. Wow. Way to bring in the religion, Matt. You're not just a political scientist. <laughs> what do you think, Sam? <laughs> well, I think it's fascinating trying to compare a religious group or belief with a political group or belief, right? Yeah. So the religious belief is how we relate to God. The political belief is how we relate to other people. So I get that we socialize into a political belief as part of a community and a set of beliefs, and they, they intersect a little bit. But it's fascinating as you describe that. 
it's, it's fascinating how you describe that. And it kind of makes sense that it would be tough to leave a political belief and transition into a different one because you're leaving behind that community or those people that you know. And right. you, you think about born-again Christians, you think about tr members of our church that historically have been very conservative Republican in the past. That's a challenge to kind of go over that dividing line. But that's fascinating that there's actually uh, there's science that backs that up. And if you think about members of the church from the Utah area, when they leave the church, they talk about like how hard that is for them to leave the yeah. church because there's yeah. so much like tied into that. And we have a good friend uh, from our mission. I was talking to him. He, he left the church and uh, he also <laughs> registered as a Democrat. And he said that when he moved to Washington, <laughs> D.C., he's like, it only made sense to be a Democrat because all of the primary elections, it's only Democrats. And he's like, but registering to be a Democrat was as hard for me as leaving the LDS church. Isn't that? Because it's all tied up in who you are. What? Sean, you come from a... I, you, they, I hate I, that. But that's how it is. Like, it's so much a part of who that. you are. But it so, shouldn't so, be that. That's ridiculous. So, so it's part of who you are for people who value their political affiliation. But I can tell you there's a lot of people that don't care. And, and, yeah. and, and actually ambivalence about that or indifference towards political affiliation is a growing trend, as is, I guess, a religious affiliation right. right in the United States, right. particularly with younger people. And that's a problem, right? Yeah. Younger people are just opting out of both of them. But Sean, yeah. if you're raised in a family that you're talking politics at dinner time and you're talking religion at dinner time and it's a part of who you are, then leaving that is a really difficult thing. But there's plenty of people that are not that political. But for the for the people who are socialized into this sort of world, that's what's determining their political views. Not yeah. not it's not like they say, "Oh, I have this really conservative idea. Which party will best represent me?" No, no, no. They're just they're Republicans okay, by but, birth. They're Democrats by birth. So isn't that interesting? Okay, so but huh. I talked, but I talked to a, I talked to a friend this weekend. And he was kind of, we were doing Marco Polo back and forth, uh, the app where you just make videos to each other, right? Oh, I thought and you were like in the swimming pool, like, Marco. <laughs> no, that would be more fun. That would be more fun. So he, I, I, I opened up Marco Polo because he has a video and he, he just he has this sunken face. You could tell he's feeling guilty and he's unhappy. He's like, dude, it's, it's Sunday. And I decided instead of going to church today, I did this and I did this instead. And he's like, I just feel so guilty. And... I went to the store and got my drink and, da, 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 da. and it explained to me later on that he's like, you know, he's like, Sean, you probably know this too, right? When we grow up in the church, your parents go to dinner on Sunday nights and all of your friends go to dinner on Sunday nights. I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? I never knew any LDS people who went to dinner on Sunday night. That was against yeah. the Sabbath. And I'm like, and he's like, what? <laughs> right. So we're both talking as if these cultural things are our yeah. religion and that has determined who we are. And we got into this deep discussion about that is not the way God intends us to decide that we're who, what our identity is, what political party to right. be associated with, and so on. It has to be. I like the idea of rejecting what my parents teach me <laughs> a bit so that I can. Because you're a punk. Well, here's why. <laughs> well, but also Nephi, then Nephi was a punk, right? Nephi got preached to by Lehi and said, "You know what? I'm not going to take his word for it. I believe him, <laughs> but I'm going to go find out for myself through the Holy Ghost." Okay. Punks. All right, you're uh, you're punks. a Nephi punk. Well, so actually, though, that does remind me that in General Conference recently, they've started saying the most important identity we should embrace is child of God, disciple of Jesus Christ. They're encouraging Damn. us to adopt different identities because there are some challenges that come with these identities we sort of inherit culturally. 
But Sean, <clears throat> this question is all about, and I have no idea where to even go with this. I think this is just a you question. I love how much emphasis you place on the revealed doctrine. You say that doctrine is canonized scripture, but many people say doctrine is anything in the ensign, anything the prophets say in general conference. So where do you get this idea that doctrine is canonized scripture? From scripture. Well, what's scripture, Sean? What's scripture? Because DNC 68, what is it? Three says, uh, anything you say when uh, moved upon by the Holy Spirit shall be scripture. The mind of the Lord, the will of the Lord, the power of God unto salvation. So where is it this, where is it that says only canonized scripture is doctrine? But if you, I mean, if we try and decipher that verse, then what we would suggest is that then the prophets and apostles have only felt the Holy Ghost, were moved upon by the Holy Ghost four times in the last 140 years, because only four times has something become scripture. No, no, right? so that's I, if you decide, that's if you define scripture as canonized scripture. But Doctrine and Covenant 68 says anything that you say is scripture. It doesn't have to be in the scriptures to be scripture. But here's, but isn't this how, isn't this how we have plenty of evidence that this is how it works. When a prophet during any age gets up on a podium and preaches the truth and is moved upon by the Holy Ghost, one of two things is react, is reality. One, they're either teaching existing revealed doctrine that can be found in existing revealed scripture or canon. They're going to reveal something new. Show me in the last 140 years where some new doctrine has been revealed and didn't find its way into the canonized scripture. That's just the evidence. Um, There's nothing new that's been preached. Heavenly Mother. That Heavenly Mother. Who that's preaches in the that? proclamation to the world on the family. That True. we are the children of heavenly parents. And that's nowhere in scripture. But there's... There's reference that is as vague as some of the scriptures I can preach to you or show you right now. That's pretty good, Matt. That's pretty good. <laughs> okay, I'll give it to you. Then. There's three reference. There's three references when when that we're we are taught three different places in scripture about at the creation of Adam and Eve. And in one of those, in the book of uh, in the Pearl of Great Price, it says we created Adam and Eve. We created man and woman in our image and in our life. say? In parents? our likeness, did we create parents? them? Does it say parents? Is there any inclination, indication that there's a woman involved in that? Because that could be... Uh, uh, yeah. Adam and Eve created we, them, in our likeness. Adam and Eve, man, hmm. woman, created we, them, in our likeness. Good right. points for Sean. Listen. <laughs> that, nice job, Sean. That is, that is quick thinking. Hey, to my kids who are listening... Sean got points on this one. So, yes. <laughs> All right. Let's move uh, on to Score one next... for the conservative Republican. Go ahead, Matt. Next, <laughs> next question. Wait a minute. I'm the conservative Republican. <laughs> no, you're not. You're the crazy liberal. Uh, uh... I've, I've never voted for a libertarian in my life. <laughs> it says, uh, this question is, you guys glossed over porn and sounded a bit naive and ignorant about the real struggle that so many faithful, humble, good good people experience. Why? Well, can I tell you why I glossed over it? Because yeah. every single commandment, there are people that really struggle with it. There are faithful, good, humble people that struggle with it. Yeah. And so I don't know how to talk about it. Like Paul talks in the scriptures about the thorn in the flesh about some weakness that he had that he struggled with every day for his entire life and it was never taken away from him. And so I don't know how to talk about like, how do you handle these struggles? 
because everybody has their own and they're also unique. And so pornography to me didn't seem like uh, like a, a struggle that we should spend a lot of time discussing any more than like maybe the Sabbath day is something we should spend a lot of time discussing. Points back to Matt. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that was, that was so, wonderful. So as part of that, that, that you're not proposing or teaching or advocating any solution that's particularly unique or helpful to anybody like, like pornography, like I think the challenge as as when we were talking about the issue is, you know, pornography is against the commandments and in a state like Utah where most of the residents in Utah are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, it's ironic that it appears to be such a large problem in Utah, right? And so I think part of our question was why is that? And and maybe one of the answers is everyone struggles with something and in a place where, you know, in, in a world where it's not looked at as sin, but in Utah where it is, that's just something people struggle with. Is that part of it? Yeah. And I think if there was an answer, I would like happily share that answer. But yeah. I know enough people that struggle with pornography. I've been to enough things. So I've been to the church's 12-step program that helps some people with pornography. There's people that doesn't help. I've been to counseling with professional counselors who have programs that they go through that helps some people. It doesn't help some people. The church has this video out that says that there was this guy that struggled with pornography addiction for 30 years. And then he mm. started doing indexing. And within one week of doing indexing, every time he wanted to look at porn, he started doing indexing. And instead, within one week, his pornography addiction was gone. It's like, yeah. So it's I like, shouldn't well, laugh at that. But I'm, well, right. I, I I've know. never you done watch the video. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I'm sorry. Right, I'm not so I, laughing at that. That's serious. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like, there's not a solution to that problem. The solution to yeah. any any struggle with sin is you turn to the Lord, and He will guide you to the solution to your problem. Sometimes it's you. Sometimes it'll make it so you never struggle with it again. Sometimes it'll make it so you still struggle with it, and you never get to be rid of it. So I just don't and have an so answer that, to that question. That's that's a fascinating point you make there, Matt. Because the purpose the purpose of this world isn't to become perfect and overcome every temptation and sin that we have. That is impossible. Right. But the point of this world is to come to Christ with a broken heart and a contrite spirit and learn how to repent. And sometimes you're right, Matt, sometimes repentance will give us access to the atonement and Christ will sweep away that temptation and we will overcome it. And sometimes he won't. Yet both of those individuals are saved because of Jesus right. Christ, because of that covenant. Right. So it's possible for someone who struggles with pornography to be saved in the celestial kingdom. Not on their merits, but on the merits of Jesus Christ. Isn't that the doctrine? Yeah, well, and so there's that man that struggled for 30 years, and indexing was the solution to his problem, but he didn't find it for 30 years. And then there's people I know that in, but indexing, indexing didn't help them, right? But, but, but to your point, indexing wasn't the solution, right? Indexing was, a, was some blessing, perhaps, that God led them to, but it was the atonement for of sure. Christ that forgave them of the 30 years and also helped heal them of the 30 years. But to, I loved your other point. Some people will find indexing and will find Christ and maybe not overcome that weakness or sin, yet still can be saved through the atonement of Jesus Christ because he suffered for those sins yeah. and doesn't say my requirement for forgiveness is perfection. Right. My, for, my requirement for forgiveness is broken heart, contrite spirit, repentance. So as a segue, uh, and, as a yeah. segue, I haven't seen the video, but indexing, try it. I guess, right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, right. so there's two right. questions along the lines of the LGBTQ community and uh, how we should relate to them in the church. So one of them is like, is there a place for these people in the church? Uh, for yes. 
Uh, and, and what do you do when you talk to somebody? So it seems like from the listeners, it seems like people are having a challenge of saying, how do I talk to my gay friends or my transgender friends uh, and be true to who I am without like offending them or something like that? Or how do they fit in the church? I don't, I, why I, why, why, why does saying? having a conversation with somebody with that belief set challenge your own belief set? I don't understand that. Like I, I talk There's, to people that have different belief sets all the time and it's not an infection. You, you don't, yeah. yeah what, what, why is there this implication somehow? Where did it come from, this idea that just because we believe one way, someone else believes another way, that uh, we're going to change them or they're going to change us? I don't think that's backed by science, is it? Sam, here's, here's maybe an answer to that. You tell me what you think of this. There is a dissonant, there's some dissonant scriptural commandments. For example, one says, the most important thing you can do on this earth is to declare repentance unto the people and bring one soul to Christ. Then there's another commandment that says, do not judge people, love them. So I, isn't maybe part of the dilemma paradox. is if I, that paradox, isn't that why maybe it's so hard? Well, what do you think of that? <clears throat> Every single person on this earth is doing something that's causing spiritual death. Every single person you ever meet. So the question is, how do yeah. I best help somebody repent? Is it by trying to identify their weaknesses and pointing it out and letting nope. them know that, hey, I noticed this weakness you have, by the way, that's a sin? Or is it by trying to bring them closer to Christ? So the best you, way to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ is to love as Christ would love. So that's why I don't see that. That's how you call through repentance. Wait, wait do it. you believe that your job with your LGBTQ friends is to call them to repentance as a member of the church, Sean? Good question, Sam. <laughs> let's just okay, throw so that out there. The, let's say that I have the, a friend that the, was going to no, transition. No, wait, wait, wait. Oh, yeah, Matt, make him answer no, the him. question. Oh, Matt, gladly. Come on. Oh, no, I like this, Sean. No, no, I don't want to get Sean. I, 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 I can answer it. Answer it by saying I read abundantly in scriptures that it says that I'm supposed to call – I'm supposed to go out and cry repentance. I also read even equally as abundantly, like Matt said, that I'm not to judge and that I am to love. I think what we learned in – Ukraine on our missions is yes. this. Declaring repentance to people is of no value without a foundation of yeah. love. Trust and an absence of just ju uh, judgment, like without, right? so a default to judge not first, then cry repentance. Amen. Build that relationship of trust. I think that's the yes. only way. But I will say that it's very deeply offensive to my gay friends if I say to them, you're struggling with same-sex attraction. And it's, it is deeply yeah. offensive to them that members of the church won't call them gay uh, when Elder Bednar said things like there are no gay members of the church, that uh, it's just an affliction people deal with. And, and our doctrine on that is is deeply offensive. So I don't know. I think that it's okay it's to a, see people as they are and treat them as they see themselves and not... That is a fan, that's a fantastic point, right? Because again, if I go... Look, I have evangelical friends. They cry repentance to me all day long, uninvited. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, it's I fine, but it's of zero I effect. It's of zero, yeah. it's of zero yep. effect because they haven't built on this foundation of trust and love. So, so I like that point, Matt, because if my my friend isn't looking to repent or doesn't, you know, they want to just be happy within their lifestyle, then I don't have a foundation, trust or love to bring in repentance. So we default, I think, to the commandment of love them. Don't judge them, anyone, love everyone. I think that's the only way to, to treat anyone who, like you said, who is struggling from spiritual death. That's all of us. Yeah. We all have a sin. Mm -hmm. Our but, job is not to first identify which sin you have and then judge you on it and cry to repentance. By the way, it's we, to love, we love Christ because he loved us first. Yeah. Oh, see, that's a good nice scripture. Sin.
points to say. Mic drop. Okay, to okay so this is with declining Christianity. What's the best way we can unite with people of different faiths? Not, not hypothetically, but practical things. So I'm going to just start this. In my view, the challenge in American society is not the decline of Christianity. It's just the decline in, um, like, it's the decline. In, like, I don't, lo- I don't look at other Christians as like helping to build our faith. Um, I've, I look at them as competitors of our faith in the same way as like, atheists or agnostics or muslims or buddhists like when when i encounter other christians sometimes they're further away from christ the christ that i know than anybody else because they're so caught up in this dogma that they have right interesting and so so building faith in society is not just uniting with other christians and trying to build christianity in society it's it's bridging out to everybody in society and trying to build greater faith in Christ. And I'm just saying that a lot of Christians don't have a lot of faith in Christ. And they're no different than the agnostics that I meet that don't have a lot of faith in Christ. In fact, some agnostics wow. have more faith in Christ than wow. a lot of these Christians out there. Mic drop, Matt. Wow. Don't strong. you guys think that's don't you think that's true? Like that is fascinating. I mean, I guess you're right that the the good relationships that I have with Orthodox Christians, Protestants, Catholics, there is, yeah, there's, there's, I'm not going to go as far as you, what you just said in telling them that they're unfaithful people. No, I didn't say they're unfaithful. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I'm, I'm just, just saying like. I'm just quoting that. No, I'm like, kidding. I'm oh, kidding. But, be a- but they, you're right. They do. They do have. I, I have less hope that I'm going to get through to them than I do with my non-christian yeah, but why oh why do you why do we feel like we have to get through to anybody wait wait i, I just want to say this Sam. what did you say starvation i, I guess as i get go ahead matt. i guess as i get no go ahead matt clarify and then a point yeah I'll make a point. what go i'm ahead. saying is those evangelicals when you get down to the core and i say i believe in jesus christ they're like you don't believe in the right jesus you don't right. believe in my revelations so, and yeah last so I'm like, book look, and, they're yeah, not right. a whole lot closer to my jesus than anybody yeah. else is to my, that's what I'm trying to say. That's I'm not true. saying they don't have faith. Very, I'm saying they reject my Jesus at the very core. Like they're always suspicious of everything I say about Christianity. They're like, yeah, but you're not a real Christian. So I'm just saying like, there's easier that's to build true. faith that with the non-Christians. Very good point. What do you want to say, Sam? I just, you know, I know we're commanded to go out and share the gospel message, but I feel less, and and this is just in my heart, as I meet people and I get to know people and I love people everywhere across the United States of America, there are incredible people everywhere of different religious backgrounds. Do you feel less of a need? I know you don't, Sean, but Matt, do you feel less of a need to like (laughs) convert everybody to our way or my way of thinking? Like, I love the variety and I love the, the uh, you know, maybe one of the things that we miss in the church and evangelicals, maybe they miss is just a diversity of opinion and thought and background that contribute to the whole. I love what President Hinckley used to say about, you know, he, he talked about bring your background, bring, bring the strength and, and bring it into the gospel and into the church and, and use it to kind of broaden our approach. And sometimes I feel like we, we didn't really do that. We said that, but we didn't do that. And, and I found rather than meeting someone and saying, hey, I need to convince you of the way I see Christ and I see the gospel and I need to bring you into the church. I just enjoy getting to know people and how they believe and what they see. 
at at face for for who they are and what they are rather than trying to uh i guess convince them that i'm right or my way of thinking is right and 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 you know what that's changed maybe even over the last 5 or 10 years is that wrong well i think that we're a nation founded by god and i think yep. that we believe that as long as the nation is righteous god will help preserve us and i yes. think that mistakenly some people take that to mean we have to be a Christian nation and we have to right. worship the Christian God. But my belief is that Allah, that the Muslims worship, is the same God that I worship. And that the mm. God, the, the Hindus have 330,000 gods, but that their worship of a higher being and the Taoist. And so there are different, there are different ways in which a, a person worship. But I think that religion in all its forms is good for our society and because it brings out the best in people and i don't have to make this a christian nation in order for this to be a nation of good people who are united with a belief in god so However, you can they celebrate so maybe your different backgrounds that way you don't feel so a moral obligation maybe, to convince everybody that our brand of christianity is <laughs> Sean, go Sam, ahead. Two Sean. <laughs> Sean. Go ahead, Sean. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna try and be peaceful here. Maybe what you're saying is good, better, best. You're saying it's it, right. The best would be if we could convert everyone to Jesus Christ and his true uh, atonement and the true church. That would be best, right? <laughs> right? But the, Sam a step under Sam that, wants there to be a little bit of a, a hierarchy in the next life. There's a, I'm a telling terrestrial you as, a celestial as, <laughs> I'm telling you as a mature adult male, not a liberal who thinks he's better than everybody else, but just as a, a worker bee, I love the diversity. Like I'm in a town right now that, that, that was, uh, a, that was, uh, founded by Dutch. I left, I left my business Wednesday night and I drove past six churches. And guess what? In this Dutch area, every single church Wednesday at 7 PM was packed. And but every you, person you, I talked to this week, they they want to talk mm -hmm. about their version of 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 Christianity, and it's but, awesome. <laughs> but you are supportive of the mission to bring the world the gospel. <laughs> oh, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. I think that's what Sean was getting at. But but I was getting at Sam that it's it's good that you've got these amazing Dutch churches. I agree, that's a beautiful thing, and I do love the diversity yeah. too. It's probably better that they would be open and humble and could, and it's best maybe uh, to we're not grow by the, the way we're not going to have any listeners after that people are going to go like hey that sam guy he's anti <laughs> <laughs> he's <laughs> my stake president's going to call me and listen i'm not anti anything i just love these dutch people like there's wooden shoes and they hand out candy and then if they I go a little farther south from here, there's Amish, and I do not want to become Amish, Sam, but I do love the pies Sam, and the ice cream. Sam, yes, Sam, but if you changed your views and you converted all those Dutch people, they would still give out candy and wear wooden shoes. No, they Sam's, wouldn't. There's no, your they wouldn't. Sam, no, they wouldn't. Like, First Sunday, they'd go without food, and, and it would change their whole world. Like, yeah. It was really weird. They were having this great ceremony, this big party, and then they invited me to the front, and they sprinkled water on me, and it's now uh, oh, I'm a part of their community. That actually happened in Russia, in Ukraine. I remember that. Pasca. All right. All right. So with this talk about America and God being at the founding of America... Um, I wanted to talk about this question. So they say many members of the church in America feel like the United States is superior to other countries because the restoration happened here. They res this person resents that being from another country. They don't like this American superiority you get in the church. And they also in their home countries didn't celebrate the United States the way that we do in the month of July in the United States where everybody's like, <laughs> la, 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 we're the best in the world. 
right? Um, and they were wondering, does the same thing happen in Utah? That people in Utah feel like they're superior to everybody else? The way oh, people no. in America. Don't answer that question, Matt. Do not answer that question. We're going to lose. We have a faithful contingent in New York City and Seattle, and they'll all stop listening if you tell them the truth. Do you want me to tell you really kind of a fun story? So yeah. Um, yeah. Elder Bednar came to BYU-Idaho. This would be maybe like, I don't know, six or seven years ago. So he came and he had a special meeting with just faculty members and employees, and it was a Q&A kind of thing. And this person raised their hand and they're like, you know, I've been looking at the church of all the things the church has adopted that seem to have originated here at BYU-Idaho. And I'm wondering, Elder Bednar, would you say there's, what would you say is like the most special place in the church or something like that, right? Clearly like trying to feed up this idea of Elder Bednar, will you please tell us that we're the best? And he says- Highland, Utah. Highland, Utah. Something like that. He said, <laughs> he said do you want to know where is the, the, if I had to say the place in the church right now that is most like Nauvoo, where there's all kinds of spiritual growth it? and there's all- He, he answered? Did. He said, he, he said answered. where the saints are just so faithful and so diligent. Highland, Utah. Do you know what I would say? Highland, Utah. West Africa. And then, <laughs> hey! And it's yeah. like nice. collective sigh in the room. Uh, like, oh, it's not us. I love it's that. He's, he's love messing that. with them. No, it's true. It's and awesome. he said, you can't say this. You can't say Elder Bednar says there's going to be dozens of temples in Africa. But he's like, the truth is, with how faithful and active they are, they don't need a couple temples in West Africa. They need hundreds of temples in West Africa because wow. those saints are so faithful. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, I think yeah. that this happens a lot, go to right? Like the, the, there's scriptures that say things and people want to feel good about who they are and where they're from. And so they're always like looking for external validation. Like, will you please tell us we're better than everyone else? And if an apostle won't, then we just tell ourselves that we're better than everyone else. <laughs> can, can I, can I work on one answer in a weird yeah. way too, a little bit? Okay. This is a little weird. I don't know if this will land well, but. This I yeah. So there's also a feeling, or there has been in the past, a feeling of in, inferiority amongst the sexes too, right? Like women have for a long time felt like, okay, there's it's a patriarchy. Yes, they still feel that way. So <laughs> they do. <laughs> that, that's okay, not so over. Here's, so, right. uh, okay, so here's what's take, interesting. Take the so, points back from Sean from the mother, uh, whatever. I didn't. No, I didn't give my. I didn't give my oh, point. Sorry. Yet. Okay, so we're in the temple one day a sister and I got talking afterwards and they started talking about, I hate this and this and this because this makes the woman inferior to the man. And we had this really amazing spiritual conversation about, okay, let's analyze all of the exalting ordinances or covenants that you and I entered into just now or proxy in the in the temple. And as we went covenant by covenant, what we realized was, was me, a man, entered into a covenant with God, these six covenants that leads me to exaltation. And then we hopped over to the woman and said, hey, these same exact covenants, same ones that exalts me, also you entered into directly with God and there's no difference. So in the end, the only thing that matters is salvation and exaltation. And it is an individual covenant between me and God. It doesn't matter if I'm American, British, man, woman, Right? 
So in the end, I was like, "Yeah, why does it matter? Why do the, what do you have an I'm, answer?" I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm not going to mention that that's true as of the last 18 months. We'll just allow that comment to sit. Go ahead. That's not true. No, 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 no. This was this was during this was during the old version of the temple ceremony, and it still applies if you truly look at it. That was not a covenant of no, Sam. That was not a covenant. We can't talk about that here, Sean. Are you ready to lay that down? Come on, let's go. Oh. Okay, we'll talk off, off script. Uh, but I love the question is, do you tons think they're the best? And John's like, let's talk temple covenants. Uh, that's because he's from that's because he's from Southern California and they all think that they're the best. People hey, you from have Orange Ste- County. You have Steve Young on or Sean. You've got Steve Young down there, so come on. I thought he was the in most Utah. annoying oh, no. members of the church are in Southern California. I, I don't want to alienate oh, any of my good friends in Southern California. But you guys are so cocky. You think that we all want to be what? on the beach. We all want to hang out. Just because we and come to Disneyland. By the way, Disneyland. we do, but we don't admit it. Yeah. <laughs> Booyah. When, when our largest uh, teachers union decides to let everybody out of school, the entire state goes to Southern California. So, yes. It's it true. true. Hey, so, with that previous question, they said, are there practical things we could do to unite with people of different faiths? Are there any practical things we could do to unite with them? I'll tell you, I'll share you one example. This was when I lived in Kansas. There was something called the Interfaith Soup Kitchen. And it was like the community said, we're going to buy, like, get together to feed the homeless. And so every faith would take a, a week or a day or something each month to do that. And so the church was part of that. Like, uh, there's a lot of. We do that a lot here. In there's California. interfaith, like, uh, yeah. clothing donation. Like, I think anything good you want to do in your community, you can make it an interfaith thing that would help you to bring other faiths together. That's a good one, Matt. I think another one is what Sam was alluding to. Be really involved in your neighbors and your business associates' lives. Yeah. Love them and really talk what, to them. Engage in conversations. Without judgment, precondition, I do that all the time. right? Try, truly love people for who they are, where they are. But it could, but it could also it could lead, lead to something, to, right? Because, yeah. because Sam, one of my Don't best friends it. is... Don't a, spreadsheet it. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. No, one of my best friends is a Protestant. And for years and years and years, we go on two walks a week. And at first, it was just finding out about each other, loving each other and the diversity and the differences. And now it's to the point where we get in so deep with religion and it's so fun. So it's, it's, it progresses, but we never would have gotten there if we hadn't talked and just become friends and become close. So I like your point. So this question is about discussions we've had where we say you need to pray and receive guidance and follow the Holy Ghost because there, there is this danger of not following the prophet and saying the prophet said this, I believe that I should do this. And then you, you end up not following the prophet. Like, isn't there some safety uh, or in choosing to follow the prophet and saying he's a prophet of God and he will never lead us astray. So I'm just going to align my will with the things that the prophet says, because otherwise if you put everything, it becomes like the Bible where everyone interprets it differently. And then they're all confused. Like the Lord gave us a prophet for a reason. So shouldn't we put our trust in the prophet and follow the prophet and not worry so much about finding our own individual didn't, interpretation? Didn't didn't we already do this conversation on the whole vaccine mandate and some of the other the water bottle thing it, and all that? I mean that question that we, that question came out of that after. Is that there podcast. spiritual danger in doing that in saying I know better than the prophet? I don't. But but no one here has said 
I know better than the prophet. I don't think we, we, we've all agreed that anyone who stands there and says, I know better than the prophet is in a, is in a problematic situation. We're talking from the, the, the context of faithful Latter-day Saints like Nephi who believe in the prophet and are faithful to the prophet like his, like Nephi was to his father, father Lehi. Nephi continually questioned or at least wanted to seek out his own understanding and revelation about everything that his father prophet Lehi revealed. None of us are saying, so if you come from a a viewpoint of I'm looking for reasons to disagree with the prophet or justify my, um, my sin or justify my differences in the church, that that's a whole different category. Yeah. That, that person is questioning the prophet. That's bad. Yeah. See, no, I don't, you, I've never preached see, question. The see, you've sort of opened my mind up to this and I'm kind of, I, you know, I think we've kind of gotten there with you, Sean, that yours is a, uh, a rigorous exercise in, in personal revelation. I think the, the kind of the easier way, dare I say the lazier path is just to follow <laughs> without question. Right. And, and you've really given mm-hmm. me something to think about. I mean, I had never really looked at it that way before. I always thought when the prophet speaks, you know, you act as a member of the church and, uh, I've, over the past couple months since we had that conversation many episodes ago, you know, I, I love the concept of, of hearing and then seeking your own kind of confirmation of, of what's being said. Because that takes a lot more work. That's a lot more deliberate and it's a lot more personal. And it does feel very much the direction that our current prophet points us the direction of, right? And, and along, thanks, Sam. And along those lines, Matt said something a few episodes ago when we, it was that same episode when we were talking about the, the, the water bottle. I remember, Matt, you said, you said, yeah, but guys, I, <laughs> Matt says, I really struggle though with sometimes hearing things that I disagree with. And it's a lot of work. I struggle and I struggle and I work and I have to pray and I have to yeah. fast. And you're almost saying it at the time, like, that's hard. Why do yes. I have to do all that? And I was like, that's it. <laughs> You're doing it. That's exactly what God wants you to do, wants us to do. Because in that process, Matt, we become closer to our Father in heaven. Yes, well, so it's, I, right? It's, Scripture's it's always by, talking about that. By struggle. that same token, Sean, it's interesting. I know a lot of people in my own ward and, and area who have left the church or become inactive because President uh, Nelson said, you know, encourage people to get the vaccine or because he encouraged people to wear a mask. They become disaffected with the church because of something that's said that doesn't jive with them personally. And that's an interesting concept that you can say, hey, you know what, I'm going to seek my own confirmation that what is being taught is right for me. Um, and, and if it's not, I can still be an active member in the church and faithfully follow the prophet. I mean, that's it's just fascinating. It, it, it's more work. Because think about it. There's got to be some Latter-day Saint who's faithful somewhere who would have an adverse reaction to the COVID vaccine, yes. right? Yeah. Maybe their genetics would just be a very bad situation. So should they just blindly go, well, the prophet is urging me, I'm going to go get it despite my my adverse reaction? Or do they take it to the Lord and the Lord says, hey, the prophet's right to counsel and urge the church as a, as a, as a churchwide organization to do it? Not you though. Well, of course that can. And happen. I think this is why I, I'm going to try and tie this back into the LGBTQ question. I have a, a friend who's gay and he, he told me, he's like, my whole life, all I ever wanted to do was get married to a woman in the temple and live, we'll call it the church dream. Like he's like, I dreamed of that my whole time growing up as a youth. He's like, but at some point I realized like I am just not attracted to women and that dream doesn't quite fit. And, but more than anything else, he wants to be faithful. He wants to be active. He wants to, he has faith in Christ. He's converted to the gospel. So how do you do it? How do you, 
how do you live the life when it all seems to be teaching one way and it doesn't fit you and everything that you're hoping for in your life? And that's why we say get personal revelation because the prophet's going to teach the doctrine. The prophet's going to lead us the way the Lord wants him to lead us. But sometimes in our lives, our individual circumstances, the general counsel, the general teachings don't fit our individual circumstances. And if my friend comes to me and says to me, what should I do? I don't have an answer for him what he should do. I don't know the answer to him what he should do. Heavenly Father has that answer to him. And so so the, the answer to the question, how do I deal with someone like that? The same as I deal with anybody. I love him. He's my friend. I care about him. And I say, I know you'll find the answer to that problem at some point in your life. I don't know what it is, but we're going to be friends. And like, it's not the defining thing in our relationship. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't care who you desire to have sex with. Same. I don't care why you judge things in your mind. And I don't care. You're right. right. We don't care about Sean these just took it there. What we care is that- <laughs> <laughs> Sean just took it there. <laughs> All right. We're going to quick. Keep it real. Quick, I'll keep it real. Sam. Quickly change we've the subject. Lost, we've lost the other third. Of, we've lost the other 30, 40% of listeners we have. Listen, if you're Sorry. in Seattle or New York, please stay with us. <laughs> we'll be back after this break. So there's two more questions and this one's going to kind of lead into the next one. We're going to end with this discussion about expertise. But this question is, I'm the dummy that doesn't understand anything. Then I listen to this podcast and realize I need to have an opinion. I've lived my whole life as a member thinking, I just don't get into politics because I don't understand. Because of that viewpoint, I'm criticized whether I think I am or just actually am for not having an opinion. I guess I just take the approach of loving everyone best I can and let people be crazy for having such strong political opinions. My question is, do you think it's important to have an opinion? I think we've shown that anybody can have an opinion because who are we to have any kind of an opinion? And we, three former missionary companions, have a heck of a time sitting around talking about stuff. Like, who are we to have an opinion? But it's awesome. We've had a heck of a lot of fun together these past months. I think that American democracy yeah. works best when not everybody has a strong opinion. There mm. are Oh, wow. There are what? people that care a lot about certain things. So, for example, I have a friend that all she does is study human trafficking. She literally has dedicated her life to stopping human trafficking. I can kind of figure out where she's lived in her life by new human trafficking laws that have emerged and very like that's her thing and that's what she loves and that's what that's she awesome. cares about. She's and and we need that. yeah, we need people like that. Yeah. And we need people who care a lot about these other issues. And then we also, at the same time, need a whole lot of people that don't care at all about that. Because, Why? Because the people who don't care about it are what make our country work. Like if everybody's yeah. fighting to oh. win office all oh. the time, it doesn't work because oh. there's just too much competition, too much animosity, too, much, too many people just care too much. So what I'm, what I'm trying to advocate for in this podcast is not to have more people with opinions. I'm trying to tell people, you should get involved in politics without feeling like you need to have an opinion in order to get involved. The problem in politics mm. now is that the only people involved are the people that care so much about it that it's like life and death for them. And what we need is we need more people involved who care way less about it, who can say, calm down, everybody. It doesn't really matter that much. This is just like stuff we're talking about. I don't have an opinion about all those issues, but I'm going to run for office because I can do the job and like help society without having such strong opinions Whoa. about things. That surprises me that you take that, take that yeah, approach. Me yeah. too. Because I'm a political scientist. Can I, I'm an, 
<laughs> Matt, I'm gonna I'm gonna count counter it and challenge you just for a real yeah. quick. Okay, DNC D- D- one thirty eighteen says whatever principle of intelligence we attain unto in this life, it will rise with us in the resurrection. And if a person gains more knowledge and intelligence in this life through his diligence and obedience than another, he'll have so much more of the advantage in the world to come. Because you two have made me more political, I have explored thoughts, dissonant thoughts, hard thoughts, hard discussions, has made me more knowledgeable, has made me more intelligent. Uh, If you break it down then to uh, the question that he's asking is, or she's asking is, should I care? Should I have an opinion? Should I strive to understand these things when I don't really care that no. much? I, I, I think yes, because at an individual level, they attain to more knowledge. They become more benefited in their okay. life. Okay, I guess after, so, so they should care. Go ahead, Sam. So, so I would say that political uh, opinion doesn't equate with knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's right. You don't. Right. So, right. Is it good to learn more about things? What? For sure. Like, how can you say that? Because Ronald, because Ronald Reagan once said that sometimes you know things that just aren't so. <laughs> yeah, I have. Yeah, but 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 Sam, but Sam, abortion. Is it a right thing? Is it a who wrong cares? thing? Your answer is it's political. Yeah, who, cares? It's, what, who cares? What? What? <laughs> Seriously? Who cares? Who? What do you mean? Who cares? Right, there, it's a moral there, there issue. Go the final issue. third of our audience. <laughs> We've thrown everybody away. New York, Seattle, we love you. Listen, Sean. Okay, <laughs> Matt. Abortion isn't a moral issue that requires knowledge. No. And wisdom, Sean. How can you? That is unknowable. Oh, you are going to get Sean. Played. It is Sam. You are going to get. It is played. unknowable. The answer to your question about abortion is unknowable. You Wait. cannot find. Okay, the Wait, answer I to take, that question. Uh, interesting. <laughs> I'm what, watching. The, yeah, everything in abortion. <laughs> everything in abortion boils down to Go one ahead. question: When does life begin? It is an unknowable question. Nobody knows the answer to when life begins. Do you know the answer to that? Can I study enough to figure that out? You can't find you, okay, says you the, can't find the answer to that question. Okay, says the says the scientist says you're approaching it from a scientific approach, I mean, but what about the religious? I'm going to pray about it and God's going to tell me it's 13 weeks. <laughs> Matt, it's 13 weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to look it up in the scripture and be like you know that scripture in Jeremiah? He was talking about seventeen weeks. No, but but Matt, but Matt, it did. It does say, "I put man and woman on the earth. I've equipped them with the tools to to uh, multiply and replenish the okay. earth." That's the purpose okay. of it. And and so when does, I when guess does, it doesn't say specifically when the spirit enters exactly, the body. Exactly, Matt, it's Matt, unknowable. Matt is, Matt is deconstructing his profession right now. <laughs> He'll be unemployed in a very short Look, political scientist. Do you oh know boy. why we don't debate death? Because we know the answer to when death happens. Death happens when the person's dead. <laughs> we debate about abortion because it's unknowable and nobody knows the answer to that question. So having a strong opinion about abortion doesn't do anybody any good. And saying, well, there's a moral right and wrong here. Okay. But what is it? Because the prophet hasn't told us what it is. I can't look up in the handbook what it is. I don't know the answer to this question. That's a good point. There's no doc. There's no, there's, I mean, you're, you're going to get people emailing in all oh, of this prophet said oh, this, I this know, prophet said I this, know. but there is no, there's no canonized doctrine. Gonna be like, That's the handbook sure. of instructions has said different things over time. And people are going to say, there's single-celled organisms that are alive, so conception. But I'm just saying there's not an answer to that question. There's not an answer. 
So wow. then why like why feel like I have to form an opinion on that? The, the there are things about abortion that there are answers to, like like what's the nicest thing to do in society? What uplifts people in society? We could talk about equality, we could talk about fairness, but you can't figure Matt, out. but how can you That's a very how, liberal how can you say it's not a moral... view for you to take, Matt. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk about protecting yeah, life Matt. too, protecting life of mothers. Yeah, I was say, to we to, talk to about... my kids just who are listening, I don't necessarily endorse Matt opinion on this but i see his point <laughs> because truly yeah it's good to be yeah. open-minded listen open please all of you who know when life begins will you just i don't want to oh, know no. your argument i just don't need to know it. a number just <laughs> oh, messages no. two weeks 16 weeks 17 <laughs> six weeks just tell me is it the uh, heartbeat that's like the electrical thing that the ultrasound listen, gives you i watch an actual heartbeat i watch saturday's warrior and i know that it was the <laughs> glimmer in the eye of the other person before <laughs> that is when it all began. I, I am not denying that there's a premortal life. I'm not yeah. saying that. I'm just saying nobody can tell me when life begins. When is that embryo a human life? And when does it start? And when does it not start? Nobody knows. And if I want to go to the scriptures, and he says, I put into them their spirit. That's it. That's what I get. <laughs> the breath of life. You get the breath okay, of well, life. Would, okay, get... if I say breath of life, doesn't that imply, imply breathing? Yeah. So Adam, 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 in most of the uh, times I've seen that with Adam, he looks to be about 28. So it's, 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 right. So nobody uh, knows. How about this? One a, mm-hmm. How about this, Matt? How about this, Matt? Let's promise our listeners that we will have a, we will revisit this topic oh, no. at a later date so oh, we can no. get a little more in depth. On abortion? <laughs> no, please. Yeah, because no, I'd like to. I'd, <laughs> no more. No more unions. No more pornography, and no more abortion. I think we've covered those. <laughs> I just like we will. I we will just say at the beginning. We'll go with whatever our audience tells us. Whatever number it has to be the exact number. Whatever number is the modal answer. Whichever number gets the most Who, answers. Who's going to count the, the votes? You're, you're, who's going to count the votes though, Matt? Yeah, but you're, we don't trust easy, right? the but Matt, you're re- to do that. No. You, Matt, you're reducing you're reducing it down to just uh, you're reduce you're saying the moral question would be if we knew exactly when a life yeah. began, then it would become a moral issue because then killing after that date is is Every, evil, and before that is not correct. evil. Is that what you're saying? Every single person. instead of instead of instead of treating it as okay, the conceptual purpose of intercourse is to create a life, and therefore the intent of that process is life, th- and that. Uh, see, that's what I'm saying. Sam's shaking his head. Sean Let's has said intercourse twice we'll this, this episode. <laughs> Can we go to the next question, please? <laughs> Why are you in Utah so afraid of this? I'm Why not are you so afraid, afraid of, of it. I just. You are. Sean, everybody agrees that murder is wrong. There's not a single person okay. you're going to talk to that says murder is okay sometimes. That's going to have us all right. voting for Kamala Harris by the time this is done. Let's go to the next question, please. Please. Sam, Sam's done. Good. Okay. For Matt, but I want to okay. hear what everybody else has to say. When have the experts or academia been wrong and steered the world wrong? And how is society to know when they are right or wrong? When have their findings led to horrific things? How do we know when to follow their expertise? What qualifies one to be an expert? A degree could be obtained with straight C's. Can comprehensive experience without a degree qualify one as an expert? And I, mm. Since they asked me this question, I want to say that because I have a PhD, I'm an expert in Sam's field. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what he's done in his life. Uh, I have the degree. 
No, so expertise, of course, there's lots of ways to get expertise, right? You can get expertise through life experience. When I say we need to trust the experts, we're in the context of education. I'm talking about experts who have degrees in those fields because that's how you establish expertise in academia. But there's, as there's expertise in all kinds of fields and you don't get them through degrees. Some things you get through experience. So yeah, experts are. So you would trust, so you would trust a, a person who has a degree, even though they were the worst in their class, they cheated their way through it. They got terrible grades. They attained to no knowledge. They got their piece of paper. You would trust that person over a person who came up, bootstrapped it, learned lots of stuff on the streets, never got their paper though, man. Well, it depends on the field we're talking about. If we're talking about medical school, like medical things, I'm going to trust a person who cheated their way through medical school and got C's in medical school over somebody who's like, I've been reading lots of things on the internet and I've been watching lots of YouTube videos and I feel like I've got some expertise on okay. this topic. Conspiracy yeah. theorists. Okay. You're not going to trust them, right? Okay. The Anti-establishment. Yeah. I yeah. So of experts, experts are wrong all the time. Academics are wrong all the time. I've written papers that I don't think that I'm right about those things. I don't retract them because I like to get citations on my papers. Like, oh no! <laughs> but that's the whole the whole point of like expert. Like people are wrong. People learn from their mistakes, and then you grow as a field. So when I say we need to trust people with expertise, I'm not saying we should trust them because they're never going to make mistakes. We should trust them because they know enough about a field to dedicate their life to studying it. And somebody with that kind of like dedication to a, 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 a like a knowledge about something, we should trust them. If I want so to know about, you're not going to rat out your, you're not going to, you're not going to rat out your people and answer the question that they've asked. When has academia led the world? Wrong? Okay. We've got eugenics is pretty bad. Oh, we've got medicine bad. before germ theory, which was, you know, pretty bad when they like put leeches on your body and you're going to, you're going to feel better. We've got um, all kinds of really bad psychology experiments that cause damage to people. There's, there's mm -hmm. so many things where science and academia have been wrong about things. But the important thing is that it self-corrects that the, the science, the fields of science correct themselves and they adjust. It might take a long time, but that's because they're, mm -hmm. they have a method of like establishing empirical evidence and we trust the empirical evidence. And so sometimes it takes a while because you need a lot of empirical evidence. So for example, let's talk about the COVID-19 vaccine. Some people say, I don't trust it because it was rushed through and you know they approved it too quickly and there could be all kinds of problems with it. Well, guess what? Academia would agree with you about that. But they said, this is the best we have right now. We've gone through enough clinical trials that we're confident that there's not going to be massive problems if everybody gets vaccinated. So our best advice to you is go get vaccinated. Now, my wife chose not to, to she chose to do the Johnson and Johnson vaccine because she didn't trust the mRNA technology that that Moderna was using. And we're just going to have to see, is this mRNA vaccine, is there, are there negative things with it? Are there positive things with it? But the evidence at the time said it's safe for most people to do it. So we're going to say most people should do it. Now, they never said there's not going to be any side effects or any problems down the road. And there might be, in which case, then they would change what they said and say, guess what? There are some problems. Or like with masking. When they said, hey, you don't need to wear a mask because it's not going to do you any good because the coronavirus is so small, a mask isn't going to help, and we need to save the masks for the medical professionals. And then later on, they... Who said that? That was like early on, the CDC said, don't wear a mask. It's a waste of time. 
And then they changed. And then they that. said, hey, actually, a mask can be helpful. Well, now we're going to say that you should wear a mask. And then people are like, well, they're changing their mind all the time. They can't possibly be right about that. But that's a sign of like good evidence. The fact that you're willing to change your mind when the preponderance of evidence says that you were wrong and you switch, that should have you have more confidence in academia, not less confidence. Do you have any reservations where these are human beings and when when there's a group of academics who control a certain field attain to a lot of power get a lot of money get a lot of grant you know they get grants they get political influence you don't think that corrupts sometimes the i don't know the honesty of a lot of the academia's findings or expert findings so when we're talking about like million dollar grants i don't want to make it sound like the the idea of corruption is laughable but it kind of is laughable that that somebody would be corrupt in science because there's really not a lot of money in 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 doing bad science just cold, to get grants. Cold Cold Fusion University of Utah. And then you ruin your name What's forever, that? right? So it's like <laughs> yeah, but it, it's fair like, example though. Yeah, yeah. There was a guy in our field <laughs> yeah, who but, who falsified like got they got a an article published in the top magazine journal. It's called Science, and this was a grad student that like had this foundational pathbreak research got the, a job offer at Princeton University like everything was one like this kid was a superstar and then you know it took a couple of months and then somebody figured out he fabricated all of his data and then within seconds his whole life is poof it's all gone I don't know what this guy's doing yeah, with what his was life, her name you know? his name what's the lady's <clears throat> no, no no what's the lady's name that created the the device that would it with one drop of oh, blood yeah. identify yeah Theranos every, what was her name Theranos Theranos Theranos, Theranos. 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 Yeah. Theranos right she, the, the, the money and the power that came along with being the expert was too overwhelming for this bunch of people, and they defrauded did you everybody. See, but do you see what happened to them? Who the wants of, that? The beauty of the free market is it always finds out. Right. And in <laughs> academia, it's the same thing. Like the way that this guy got caught was somebody was really impressed with his research and they said, hey, I would love to work on this with you and replicate this. And then anyhow, it doesn't take long to figure it out. Like people admire what you're doing, then study it a little bit more, and then they expose you for being a fraud. So there's just not a lot of incentive to do that. It's not to say it doesn't happen. There's examples in every field where somebody does that and it ruins their life. So why... Why would you do that? Why would somebody say, oh, I'm going to go into this field and then I'm going to end up working at like McDonald's because I've There's nothing well, because wrong they, with McDonald's. But right. But who <laughs> wants to get a PhD, publish in science and have everybody like forevermore, they Google but your Matt, name. Clear, and, but Matt, Matt, every politician and every business, every entrepreneur doesn't go into corruption thinking they're going to get caught. They don't think they're going right. to get caught. So why wouldn't that apply to academia? It applies. I'm saying we have bad apples, but they get caught. And so, so my push for expertise is, is simply this. Along, Matt, along that logic, there's no corruption in business and there's no corruption in government because they get caught. So they don't do it. <laughs> okay. I'm okay with that. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I would uh, dispute that, but yeah, that's all right. <laughs> they get caught eventually though. Right, Sam? No, not really. No. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. <laughs> well, like, so if we go back to my friend who's like dedicated to fighting human trafficking. When I say yeah. expertise, I say we need to have people like this making decisions about human trafficking. I'm not saying that no one's ever going to get it wrong. I'm saying that the probability that somebody who dedicates their life to fighting human trafficking has some personal agenda yeah. and some little, just trying to build herself up or something like that. It's very, very small. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm okay. Well, so we, 
Well, and, and, and until, until someone says, hey, we're going to have to shut you down because we can't fund you unless you lay off the Cuban uh, <laughs> sex trafficking world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then they go, okay, <laughs> give me your money. I'll stop the fight. So, I'm saying that the, the alternative is we look to YouTube for expertise, and there's no check on that. There's no right. check on telling me, is that information that these people are putting out there and getting millions of views, are they trying to be accurate or are they just trying to get clicks? Like that alternative isn't any better. So yeah, I agree. So but, isn't kind of the but there's bias in academia because I'm isn't like, isn't kind of the purpose okay, of your yeah. point is that as members of the church, as we seek out truth wherever we find it, experts have value. People that study a, a subject that become excellent mm. in an area, whether it's academia, science, whether it's business, right? It's finding the best people in different fields and educating yourself. And Matt, Sean, I think it's okay to have an opinion. It's okay to debate. It's okay to have conversations. And even though those conversations may sound very different than they have in our past. We might be talking about Kamala Harris one day or Joe Biden yes. another day or yes. Trump another day. It's okay. We need to be more embracing as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints of those divergent opinions and viewpoints. And all of those things make us richer and make our uh, religious observance richer, but also our culture richer. Well said, Sam. Beautifully said. Wow. Hey, nice listener. Nice, <laughs> hey, listener. <laughs> sorry if we didn't cover your questions in as much depth as as you would have liked. And sorry if we didn't get to your questions. We really tried to get to all the questions today. Uh, if we didn't, feel free to reach out. We do the mailbag every week. Uh, we're excited to hear from you again this upcoming week and hope you'll listen again next week. Take care. That is all the time we have this week. But that doesn't mean the discussion is over. In fact, we include links to the stories we discuss each week in the podcast description to encourage our listeners' participation. Each of you have an important perspective that builds the Latter-day Lens, and we want to hear from you. Let's continue the discussion on social media. You can find us on Instagram, at Latter-day Lens, on Twitter, at Latter-day Lens, on Facebook, at Latter-day Lens, or you can email us at thelatterdaylens at gmail.com all one word. Finally, please make sure you subscribe to get updated content each week. Thanks for making us one of the most listened to podcasts. We love our listeners.